Hi, this is Dr. David Wright, and otherwise known as Dr. David, or just David. And I want to welcome you back to the Fresh Start with Dr. David podcast, uh, now on Apple and iTunes. So um, I'm really happy. This is episode number one. Uh, the introductory episode was last week. Each week I'll be recording somewhere, kind of depending on my time between one and three episodes. And I'll be talking about a number of different topics. Uh, as I've mentioned during the introduction, um, the purpose of the Fresh Start with Dr. David podcast is to bring up issues in mental health. As you may or may not know, the Kaiser Foundation just released a report. I can't remember if it was a report or a study or both, but basically it said that 90% of Americans felt like or thought that there's a mental health crisis in this country. And I totally agree. Um, I'm surprised that it's not 130%. I'm surprised that people didn't respond twice. We're truly in a crisis in this nation. And I think it pervades every area of our lives from our finances to the price of goods and services, which brings up the concept of inflation which uh, is related indirectly to what I'll be talking about today, which is return on investment. But we are certainly in a crisis in this country. And that crisis is a mental health crisis. But it didn't start off as a mental health crisis. It began as a bunch of little crises all over the place that have culminated to the point where most people feel like things aren't secure in their world. And they don't feel secure about tomorrow. And they don't feel secure about today and the future and the future for their children and their ability to make ends meet and their ability to buy a house or buy a new car when their car is old and about to fall apart or invest in their future or invest in their retirement or invest in the stock market or invest in real estate or anything else. And so a lot of things have come together to create a mental health crisis in this country. And if we don't look at all those things and where they're coming from, we're not going to get to the heart of the problem. And one thing I can tell you, although I'm sure I'll do a a separate episode just on this, is this concept here. And this is a concept that should be, I, I think, kind of logical and expected, but it's this. Communism does not work in, in, a, in purely isolated form. And neither does capitalism. Cap, we're, we live in a capitalistic society. I think capitalism is a good thing. But the key is balance. Um, and the other part of that equation, too, is we're not purely capitalistic. And a lot of people use terms like communism. Um, and they don't really know what it means. They don't realize that taxes are a form of communism. Social security is a form of communism. It's, those both are based upon communistic principles. Our education system is like a commune. They all are. Anything that you contribute to and share resources with other people to lower the costs or to lower the barriers to entry is arguably a form of communism. So we already have communistic or commune-oriented things, or socialistic, if you want to use that 
those obviously socialism and, and communism are, are different, but they're similar. Um, you know, but those are both principles based off of the sharing of resources or the sharing of expenses and burdens and the sharing of benefits as well. So communism and things like that are based upon the principles of sharing. And we kind of oppose it with the idea of capitalism. So a lot of times people pit capitalism versus communism or capitalism versus socialism. And in reality, we have all of those things. Um, a home is a commune. It's where a group of people live together and share food and resources and time and space and all that stuff. So, you know, I, I hate when people kind of put labels on everything and, and lump everything and everyone into categories. Um, because honestly, what we want is a balanced system that works for most people, hopefully works for everyone. Um, but at least for the vast majority of people, and then that brings in obviously the concept concept of, of liber, libertarianism and utilitarianism and things like that. And obviously, even if things work for the vast majority of people, uh, you don't want to exclude certain groups. So anyway, welcome back. <laughs> to, I'm already jumping into some of the stuff, uh, I guess, because I'm excited about it. But um, I'm already jumping into some of the topics that I'm going to get into with this episode. So welcome to episode one. Um, like I said, the previous episode was the introductory one where I talk about kind of why I created this and what I helped to achieve. Ultimately, regardless of what I talk about and the, uh, the competing interests that I bring up and, and some of the elements um, behind questions and concepts and things like that, is solutions. We want to create solutions. We want to create good solutions that are long-term solutions. And like you've hopefully heard in the introductory podcast, part of the reason why I'm doing this and part of the reason for my practices and my books is my belief that a lot of the solutions or lack thereof in this country in terms of medicine, health and health care, and especially mental health are short-sighted. And if we look for long-term solutions and we invest, we're going to come up with better solutions and finally, better outcomes. When you come up with better solutions, the natural result of that process is better results and better outcomes. And ultimately, that's what we want. So let's get started with today. Um, and mind you, I'm at home today instead of at the office. It is Sunday. Um, and uh, you may hear a lawnmower or something in the background. But uh, anyway, hopefully you can hear everything I have to say. So take a look. definitely take a look at the text, what I wrote about today. Um, I won't talk about everything that I wrote, but, you know, obviously I brought up the idea of return on investment. So that's today's topic, return on investment, and I shortened it to ROI. That's kind of how I learned it. Generally speaking, the concept of ROI is something that comes up in business school, in business classes. I first learned about it, generally speaking, in my uh, master's program. can't remember if it was my master's in, my, uh, master's in health services administration. Um, or my MBA in healthcare management, uh, but I certainly came across it in one of those. And it basically is this, what am I getting from what I'm putting in? You know, I put in X, what do I get back? Um, and that's the concept of ROI. It's centrally selfish in nature. Um, it's self-centered, but it also brings up ideas, things like self-care. And so you have to care for yourself before you can care for others. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't care for others. You shouldn't be just stuck on just caring for yourself. But it's at some point, you also have to realize that if you're not stable, you can't have stable. You can't help stabilize others. You can't help others unless you help yourself. And that's the principle that you see being expressed when you board a flight and they go through the safety instructions and they talk about, you know, make sure that oxygen is flowing from your mask before you attempt to help someone else. And that's just based on this basic concept. If you can't help yourself, then you can't help anyone else. And from that, you also get the opposite of that, which is if you can't help yourself, then you're probably going to become a burden upon someone else. So you're going to be another person who has to be helped. So it behooves you and everyone else around you if you can help yourself first. So with the concept of return on investment, that brings up a lot of things. Uh, and I'm going to go through a, a, a short list that I have of those things uh, that are a good place to start. But basically, the question is, am I getting what I want and how much is it costing me? So if you want a good return, you have to make some type of investment. If you don't make any investment at all, then you're probably not going to get a return at all. Now, yeah, we do have institutions set up uh, in our society where people get things basically without having to put stuff in. Uh, we generally call that welfare or we call that social assistance. Uh, and that happens in a regular basis and it happens in emergency situations like it did during COVID-19. Uh, and obviously I'll be doing a podcast on COVID-19 and the pandemic and how that's forced a lot more people to look at the return on their investments and just kind of look at the mental health system and other health systems in our country. Uh, because, you know, healthcare. Uh, medicine, mental health is already a burden. And then COVID just added that much to it. So, you know, keep in mind, there were people who have been bankrupted because of medical and healthcare expenses. And then COVID came along. And then where are they now? Uh, you know, yeah, who knows? But uh, they're probably not in a better position now. So, um, and if you take, uh, you know, as an MD, I always look at what somebody, where someone is at before something happens, right? And so a lot of people were, including myself, I have high blood pressure. I take blood pressure medications every day. Uh, I also have allergies. Um, but a lot of people before the pandemic already had a number of health uh, and wellness conditions. And then COVID just compounded things. And honestly, a lot of people still have not recovered from that. Um, and COVID has made their health and wellness uh, conditions even worse. But with return on investment, the question is basically, am I getting what I want and how much is it costing me? Um, and the other question that it begs is, well, why am I still investing in something where I'm not getting a return? Um, the simplest kind of example, I love to use analogies and I love to use examples. That's kind of how I remember things. That's how my memory works. Um, and so if you use analogies and examples, especially ones that you'd like or appreciate, you'll never have to worry about remembering stuff because you'll have those analogies um, and contrasts and kind of anecdotes and stories um, to draw from. So that's always something you can use if you need to remember things. But basically, the first idea that kind of came to me is a pinball. So when you're a kid, eventually you realize a pinball machine, or at least when I was a kid, I did. Maybe I'm dating myself, but that's okay. 
And, you know, you see a pinball machine, there's a gumball, there's colorful things that look attractive in there. And then, you know, as a kid, you don't really have any money. So you ask your parents or your, your, your parent who is at the grocery store with you or wherever you're at for some money. Um, and, of course, gum, a gumball machine is just an analogy. I could, you could put anything that a kid might be attracted to, a toy, uh, something in the mall, something in the store, something online. But anything, something that you see that you want, that you find attractive. And then you realize that it's not just available for free, that you have to pay something or invest something in order to get it, right? And so with uh, a pinball, a, a gumball machine, or, or a pinball machine, but specifically with a gumball machine, there's something shiny, there's something tasty, there's something attractive in there. Um, and you have to put something in, a quarter, uh, a, a 50-cent piece, a dollar, something in that machine to get what you want that looks attractive. Uh, and then the question is, is how much does it cost? Um, and so, you know, if you're in a grocery store with a parent and you see something, you're a child and you see something in a gumball machine and it costs 10 bucks, I mean, 10 cents, your parent might like, oh, okay, if they have a dime, here's a dime, no big deal. If that same piece of candy costs $10, your parent is going to go, you know, we're not doing that. And then at the, that point, you know, the kid throws a tantrum and they may get it and they may not get it and... <laughs> you know how that goes. But the concept is this. The parent in their wisdom realizes that that gumball or whatever may not be worth 10 cents or 25 cents or, you know, that. But I'll pay it just to keep my kid happy. So in that case, it's worth it. I'm getting a return on my kid being happy. But if it's 10 bucks, then they make the calculation is different and it's like I don't care if my kid is happy or not I'm not paying ten dollars for a piece of gum and they don't need that anyway it's causes cavities it's going to cause them to be hyper so I'll just deal with deal with the tantrum that the kid's going to throw but I'm not going to throw away ten dollars of my hard-earned money and that's that illustrates the concept of return on investment um, the, the return is worth it for the gumball and the kid's satisfaction at 10 cents or a quarter but it's not worth it at ten dollars or twenty bucks most parents aren't going to give their kid 20 bucks for a piece of gum. It's just not going to happen. Uh, and I guess if you can afford to do that, then kudos to you uh, for making wise investments or whatever. But, you know, that's where it comes up. Um, and then kids start to make the same decision. Um, you know, you make similar types of decisions when you go to a buffet or you go to a restaurant. Okay, well, this costs this much and it's going to taste this good. Is it worth it or is it not? I want the lump crab meat, but the lump crab meat costs as much as a whole meal um, by itself, and it's just an appetizer or a side. Is it really worth 40 or 50 bucks? Your stomach and, you know, the hypothalamic part of your brain might say yes, but your the other part of your brain that looks at your bank account and, and calculates things like that might say no. So you've got different parts of your brain and different parts of yourself that are making calculations that are contributing to these kind of decisions. But ultimately, it's like the question that you're asking is, is it worth it, right? Um, the same thing is true in with a slot machine. And that will bring up another concept uh, called addiction. And so if you go to a casino, if you, a slot machine is probably the best thing. You could use a roulette table or Texas Hold'em or poker or craps or some other Thing, but a casino, a, 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 um, a slot machine is the best example. And so 
after you've sat down at a slot machine, you picked one out based on how attractive they are. You kind of looked at, you know, how much you're going to put in. Are you going to play a nickel machine or a quarter machine or a dollar machine or a $5 machine or 20 or whatever it is? And then you, you play a few rounds and you see, well, you know what? Is it giving me anything back? And you make a kind of determination of how much you're going to spend before you sit there and get up and then leave and go to another machine or go to another type of game or just leave altogether. So you're making a decision based off of return on investment as soon as you sit down at that slot machine and realize how much it costs and then see what it's paying out. You also make calculations based on what you think it's paying other people. Um, so a slot machine, if it doesn't eventually pay off, pay out, you're probably going to get up and leave. Now, if you if the machine continues not to pay you anything and you still continue to sit there, then obviously there's a couple of things that could be happening. Either you have an addiction and you're just not going to ever leave that machine, even if it never pays anything, which is the most extreme type of addiction that you might have. Or it might be a situation where you've calculated based on your past experiences that even though it hasn't hit when you pulled the lever 20 times in that 20 to 30 region, it's going to hit. And then once you get to that 20 to 30 region and once you've gotten to 25 or 30, then you make another calculation and you go, well, let's see. Do I ever remember if I hit it after it got past 30, between 30 and 40? And then you go on and on. But the further you're willing to go out from not getting a return or a reward for putting money in the machine, the more it is like an addiction. And that's how an addiction works. The addiction works upon the concept of diminishing returns. Even though I'm getting less and less and less from whatever it is that I'm investing in, whether it's a drug or an activity like playing a slot machine or playing a sport or eating or a relationship or a job or anything like that, based on what I'm putting out or putting in, what am I getting out? Am I getting less? And if you're getting less and less and less and you still continue to engage in the same activity at the same level or even a greater level, then it's probably an addiction, no matter what you're talking about. Um, and that's a principle that I bring up in my book, The Nutrient Diet, which is, I believe, the first book of its kind that takes an approach of 50% uh, nutrition, diet, um, and the metabolism of what your body does with foods, um, the metabolism, the physiology, all those kind of things that, that your body does with, with everything you put in it. And then the other half of the book is a psychology of make of the choices that you make and why you make them. And in the second half of the book, I actually bring up the concept of return on investment indirectly in a bunch of different chapters that help you change your food habits by focusing on what you're getting and also based on the psychology of addiction, right? Um, like the concept of not having things in your environment that are, are going to be a trigger for you to engage in that behavior, the behavior that's going to lead to less returns based on another behavior. So anyway, check out the book, The Nutrient Diet. It's on Amazon. It's also on my websites and everywhere else. Um, but back to the concept of return on investments. Um, another... Uh, concept that's associated uh, with the concept of uh, return on investment is that of assets versus liabilities. And the reason why that is relevant is because of this. 
when you get a return, that return becomes an asset. And that's kind of an, a principle from accounting. So you'll see me put, we've kind of principles from accounting and finance and medicine and mental health and psychology and philosophy and a lot of different areas because they're based on similar concepts. And so when you get returns, the reason why you want returns is because those are assets. When you don't get returns, you may just get nothing. However, you could also be creating liabilities. And that brings us back to the example of the slot machine. If you keep pulling the lever and you're not getting any money back, then you're creating liabilities. Now, you may not see it as a liability, but it is because the $100 that you had as an asset just went away. And so when your asset went away, you indirectly created a liability because it's probably the case that that $100 that you just put in that slot machine could have been used for something else. It may have actually been needed for something else. And then that brings us back to the concept of addiction. When people spend things that they don't have, it's probably an addiction. Um, when people create liabilities that they cannot afford to create, then it could be the case that it's associated with an addiction. Some of the things that come to mind when you talk about return on investment are things like values. What do you value and what do you don't? The more you value something, the more you're willing to invest in it without a return, right? And it, it could be because of a, another concept that you believe in, right? Like honesty or something like that. So you might be willing to take a loss based on a concept or a value um, like honesty. It might be based on your beliefs. You might have a belief that if you can keep investing in something, even though you haven't gotten a return right now, it's worth it. That's where religion and things like that come in, where people feel like if I make an investment in this life, I'm going to get a return in the next stage or the next life. A lot of religions are based on that concept. Um, and I could probably do a whole podcast based on that too. The next idea that it brings up is worth. And worth goes back to assets and liabilities. And so when you subtract, when you subtract liabilities from assets, what's the worth? What are you left with? What's the balance, right? Uh, and that's a key concept in return on investment. Another concept is boundaries, the concept of boundaries. And boundaries are important because boundaries prevent you from over-investing in things that don't give you a return. Um, and that brings up the non next concept of relationships. So the reason why boundaries are so, so important for all of us, and um, I would recommend if you haven't done already done so already, take an inventory of the boundaries that you have with people, especially in relationships that are not working. Now, in relationships that are working, you may not feel the need to do that. I think it's important to kind of have uh, 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 boundaries on, on relationships, even if they are working. Um, because they're, even if a relationship does work, generally speaking, there are going to be instances where boundaries are pressed or where the relationship isn't working, if, even if only temporarily. But boundaries are really, really important because boundaries allow you to keep relationships with people who don't operate within the same set of values or beliefs or variables that you do. Um, and then they provide consequences when that happens. And so you have boundaries on what you let your friends do or what you would let a lover do or what you would let a sibling do uh, or a boss do. And those generally fluctuate and they have ranges. 
So there's some things that a boss you've had for 20 years might be able to get away with that a new boss that you've had for a month might not be able to get away with and vice versa with an employee. There's some things that an employee who's been there through thick and thin for 20 years might be be able to get with, get away with, um, and a new employee probably would not. So that's where boundaries become really important. And then boundaries apply to everything, just like the concept of ROI. So you have boundaries about money. You have boundaries about time. You have boundaries about energy. You should, if you're trying to watch your weight or um, keep your weight in check, have boundaries about food uh, too. Uh, I can eat this many calories a day. That's a boundary based on the number of calories. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why so many people are obese, overweight and obese these days uh, because they're eating you know, 2,000, 3,000 calories a day, but they're only expending 1,500. Um, and by not keeping an accounting, looking at the return on investment of their calories and by not creating boundaries around that concept, they're going to continue to gain weight and have greater health issues. Other issues that are brought up by the concept of return on investment, priorities. What's a priority and what isn't? Something that's giving you a great return on your investment in some ways should be a higher priority than something that's not. Unless the thing that's not giving you a good return is draining resources. If you're losing on something, then at least in the short term, it should have a higher priority because you need to make a decision. Do I want to keep this behavior, relationship, action, activity, uh, account, whatever it is, even though I'm losing? That brings up the concept of decision making. Um, so return on investment should be driving your decisions. Do I do this versus that? Uh, how quickly should I act upon this? Should I take this risk at this moment? So decision making is central to return on investment because obviously you're making decisions based on whether something is giving you back anything that you're putting in. It also should reflect in your commitments, which is the next thing on the list. Number seven, commitments. How committed are you to this versus that? And, you know, that brings up a further concept. The reason why the concept of return on investment exists is because resources, time, energy, money generally aren't unlimited. If you have unlimited resources, unlimited time, unlimited energy, unlimited money, you don't have to worry about the return. And that's what a lot of people who don't have an appreciation for money do. That's what a lot of people who've just been handed things do. Uh, and they act that way. And the reason why is because they don't have any boundaries. Uh, they're not good at making priorities. They're not good at making decisions or uh, looking at commitments because for them money is unlimited and when money is unlimited you don't have to set any boundaries you don't have to look at the return at all um, you don't have to look at the investment either um, and that goes to the belief that from a young age you should teach children um, teens adolescents young adults about um, the value of money, the value of time, the value of energy, uh, and the concept of return on investment. Because for most people, resources are not going to be unlimited. Um, uh, the next concept 
is uh, number eight is engagement. How engaged am I in this versus that? Uh, and obviously with engagement, you're thinking about time and energy. Do I want to engage in this relationship that's not giving me anything? Has this relationship run its course? Uh, do I no longer have anything in common with this person who I've had a 20 year friendship with? Or do I still have a lot of things in common with them? Or have we changed? So engagement, the level of engagement that you have. Um, number nine, the activities that you engage in. Activities and engagement are closely related, but in terms of activities, what organizations do I want to be a part of? Um, you know, how long am I going to engage in this activity or that activity? How long am I going to stay at work every day? Is working later going to bring me more money? Well, it may, it may not. It depends on if you look at what kind of return you're getting on the investment and how well the strategy is being executed. The next thing is timetables. Um, so timeframes, timetables, the concept of time. Time really is your greatest asset. So do you want to just give it away? You need to look at what kind of return you're getting for your time. The next things, your journey your purpose, your destiny, are the things that you're investing in gonna lead to you having a better journey compared to investing in other things? What is your journey gonna be like over the next five years, the next 10 years? What is your retirement gonna be like? You need to look at your journey because how you invest in your money, your time, your energy, things like that is gonna lead to some destination. And hopefully it's made with a purpose that defines who you are and also gives you a good return. Um, the next concept, uh, number 14, is your lifestyle choices. Your lifestyle choices should definitely incorporate um, something or things or elements or activities or habits that give you a good return on your investment. Um, and if you invest in lifestyle choices that do give you a good return, um, then you're gonna be happier. Uh, and you're going to be able to invest in those activities even more. And then the last concept on this list that I listed, number 15, is habits. Your daily habits. And that's about investment. Do your daily habits give you a good return? Uh, a silly example. <laughs> the first one that popped in my mind. Brushing your teeth, right? Most people spend, I don't know, two minutes, five minutes, maybe... 10 minutes brushing their teeth in the morning, depending on if they're using a manual brush or if they're using an electro electric brush. If you're using an electric brush or one of those water brushes or something, some newer type technology brush, then you might be able to do it a lot quicker. And that's one of the reasons why people do that. Um, they feel like they're getting a better return on their time investment uh, because they're not gonna be able to brush as quickly uh, or be as thorough if they do it manually. But what if you brush your teeth for 30 minutes or an hour. Would you get any additional return? In that case, you actually might do damage to your teeth. You know, who knows? I'm not a dentist, but I'm just saying at some point you have to make a decision that, hey, I've been brushing my teeth long enough. So those are some of the things that, con that come up when you talk about return on investment. And I'll go down that list one more time. Values and beliefs, worth, specifically assets versus liabilities, boundaries, Relationships, priorities, decision-making, commitments, engagement, activities, timetables, time constraints, 
time frames, journey, purpose, destiny, lifestyle choices, and habits. At the end of the day, and I do, I use a whiteboard for this. So one of the things I'll just kind of interject here, if you don't have a whiteboard, get one. Get a whiteboard, put it up in your office, put it up in your home, and when you're trying to figure something out, use that whiteboard. Um, if you need help with that, obviously, I'll say <laughs> schedule an appointment at my office. Uh, one of my practices, MLC of Greater Atlanta, Atlanta Coaching and Hypnotherapy Associates, um, Atlanta Small Business Incubator, if it's a financial issue or if it's related to a business um, or a business concept. But get a whiteboard, invest in a whiteboard. And when you're trying to figure something out, draw it out on the whiteboard and, and try to figure it out. Now, it, there's an art and a science to doing that. Uh, I've been doing that for a long time. I don't think there's anything, for the most part, that I couldn't figure out on a whiteboard. Um, now, if you want to get really, really specific, uh, you know, like sp you know, space or physics or uh, physiology or things like that, then yeah, I would have to look up some things. But I could probably get at least in the right direction with a whiteboard. So if you don't already have one, get a whiteboard, and that's going to help you solve a lot of things. In terms of solutions, this is what I would recommend, and this is why um, this podcast exists and why I bring up this topic. In terms of solutions, start looking at things in your life, especially important things like money and retirement and food choices and health and lifestyle choices and relationships in terms of return on investment. If you do that, what it's going to do is it's going to make you think twice about investing in things that don't give you a return. Now, I'll say this. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't draw, you, you should throw away every friendship that you have that you feel like it's not delivering in the same way that it used to. Um, I don't advocate for that. But here's the thing. If you have a friendship or a relationship, let me, let me, let me exchange the word friendship for relationship. If you have a relationship where you're doing all the work, then you should probably make some different choices about that relationship. I have people, uh, I wouldn't call them friends, but acquaintances who only call me when they need something. If somebody only calls you when they need something, then you may need to make a decision. You need to either end that relationship or you need to put a whole bunch of boundaries on that relationship so the losses are tiny, right? And that's the same thing that companies do. That might sound cold, but here's the thing. Uh, if somebody in a relationship that you have a relationship with only calls you when they need something, then that's not a symbiotic relationship. It's not a complementary relationship. That is an addiction or a parasitic relationship. And it doesn't matter if you look at it, which, which way you look at it as an addiction or in terms of them being addicted to getting things from you for free, or if you're looking at it as a parasitic relationship they're using you and that's not healthy so if that's if you have a relationship in your life that operates that way then you should make some choices but in terms of solutions that's the solution that i want to give you take a look at the things that are using up your time your energy your emotions your happiness your mood your money um and all those things and analyze them and see if they are benefiting you. If they're not benefiting you as you want them to, then you need to create some new goals or you need to alter or put some boundaries on that relationship. Um, and 
The other thing that it's going to do, and the reason why a lot of people don't look at the ROI in terms of their relationships, their time, and their money is this. If you make changes, some of those changes may force you to go outside your comfort zones, and you probably don't want to do that. That's called discomfort. Most people don't. They want to be comfortable. They don't want to experience discomfort. But in order to be more empowered, to be more happy, to be more abundant, to be more prosperous and more successful, you got to challenge and move beyond some of your comfort zones. And that's the reason for the Fresh Start uh, with Dr. David podcast. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you learned something. Go back and look at the description um, of it and look at some of those things that are on the list. And then, you know, like I said, if there's an issue that you're trying to solve or work on that you can't get past in life, check out one of my practices. MLC of Greater Atlanta, Atlanta Coaching and Hypnotherapy Associates, Atlanta Health and Wellness Coaching, Atlanta Small Business Incubator. And also check out my books. I've got two self-improvement books and I've got a diet, nutrition, health, wellness, and weight loss book called The Nutrient Diet that will change your relationship with food. So anyway, I hope you will have a great week next week. Start off your day and your week with a positive affirmation. My two self-improvement books in chapter seven of each one of those, there are literally 200 pages worth of positive affirmations. And if you start off your day with a positive affirmation, your life will change in 30 days. It will certainly start to change in 30 days. And especially if you start off your positive affirmations with something based off of the concept of return on investment. So anyway, thanks so much for spending about 40 minutes with me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, feel free to check out the Facebook group, Fresh Start with Dr. David Podcast Facebook group. Join the group, post a positive affirmation. Uh, feel free if you'd like to, if you want to do an episode with me about something that's about medicine or health and wellness or diet or mental health, let me know. I'd be happy to do one with you. Okay. Thanks so much. And you take care. Bye-bye.